Um, so OpenStack is a framework for um, open infrastructure. Um, so it's something you can deploy to provide uh, cloud resources to uh, users, whether um, in order to uh, sell resources to anyone with a credit card on the internet or um, more uh, for uh, internal needs of a given organization. In the first case, we call it the public cloud. um, And in the second case, more like a private cloud. Um, OpenStack is more a framework of various components that you can use to build such infrastructure um, and integrate other technologies in in the process. Uh, It's an open source project. Um, It's collaboratively built by hundreds of companies and organizations around the world. Um, my role in the project is um, as a member uh, staff of the OpenStack Foundation. I'm the vice president of engineering, and that's in charge of uh, all the coordination of the upstream open source project. So making sure that uh, everything uh, works correctly, everyone collaborates on an equal footing, um, uh, making sure that we produce our release every six months. Um, and ensuring the long-term health of the uh, open source project, so solving community issues and uh, try to predict future uh, issues and and, uh, proactively solve them. Okay. Um, So I I kind of hear what you said and it's a similar note on the uh, the the homepage of the website but what exactly does openstack consist of so what what are the underlying tools and what can you do with them um like i see terms like managing compute storage and networking resources um so yeah, is it as a suite of command line tools, a suite of graphical tools, a suite of both? And does that consist of smaller sub-projects? You know, how, do, how do all these bits of tooling fit together and how would someone use them in an application? Uh, sure. So the, what we, the, main, the main components are providing an API, uh, an HTTP REST API that you can used to uh, request resources and manage them. Um, So, for example, you have a component uh, called Nova that you can use to um, uh, start a VM on compute resources using a single API call. Um, Same thing to provision block storage to attach it to that VM or to uh, store data in an object storage um, uh, solution. So it's once you have a, an OpenStack deployment, it's pretty much looking like uh, you have your own Amazon Web Services uh, set of uh, set of resources. So you have a service that will give you VM as a service. So you an API call and you get a VM uh, with IP address and you can connect to it. Or um, you have a service that will let you store data on uh, in the cloud, very much like S3 in uh, in Amazon Web Services, and that's called Swift. Uh, we have a component that provides block storage that you can attach to those VMs. We have a component that um, stores disk images that you can run on those VMs. We have a component that um, presents bare metal resources in the same way as virtual machines, so you can actually instantiate 
uh, workloads directly on bare metal machines without the overhead of uh, virtualization. Um, so I would say it depends on exactly what you what you combine, what components you combine. But um, the the key resources are the infrastructure as a service uh, services, which basically give you an API to uh, drive resources. So networking, uh, you can request a network, connect various VMs to it. Um, storage, you can uh, store um, data in, in object storage. You can create block storage uh, um, volumes and attach them to VMs. Uh, you can request virtual machines themselves. Uh, you can also request permanent machines, the same same thing. Um, so that's the main components, but we have an, a whole ecosystem of other components that build on, on top of those. Um, for example, we have Magnum that lets you provision a Kubernetes cluster on top of virtual machines or bare metal machines that are provisioned by uh, Nova, the, the compute company. Um, so you, there is the core of the engine, I would say, which provides compute networking and storage-based resources, but you also have an ecosystem of components that build on top of that for more specific use cases. And and so I'm guessing it's an abstraction as well. So it doesn't really matter what exactly you're running on. However many combination of real machines or virtual machines, you just say, I need X gigabytes of RAM, um, X cores, and OpenStack handles it. Yes, uh, you, you basically provide uh, a set of of uh, resources constraints and and um, the scheduling system will will provision um, virtual machines or bare metal machines to um, answer that request. Uh, and you, you mentioned Kubernetes in there and there's sort of other frameworks in this world such as Mesos as well. Um, where does OpenStack fit into this whole kind of orchestration of resources world? Um, so the um, Mesos or Kubernetes or Docker Swarm um, all uh, um, let you orchestrate uh, complex applications, basically. You can, you can describe your application in a way that will scale to a number of, 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 uh, of hosts and, and that lets you describe your application more of a microservice type, uh, type infrastructure. The way we integrate with those technologies is uh, twofold. We, have, we can provision Mesos clusters or Kubernetes clusters or Docker Swarm clusters uh, through the Magnum component that I mentioned earlier. Um, it's basically, you, you have this API, the Magnum API that lets you provision with one single call. You can get a cluster of machines that uh, will have Kubernetes or Mesos or Docker Swarm deployed on them and then use Kubernetes or Mesos or Docker Swarm credentials and APIs to interact with it. So it's really infrastructure provisioning in that case uh, for for your users. But we also leverage Kubernetes itself for uh, the deployment of, of OpenStack itself. Like uh, you can 
deploy OpenStack using containers. Um, like each component would run in a, in a different container. And to orchestrate that complex application that is OpenStack, we can also use internally uh, Kubernetes as a layer for orchestrating OpenStack itself. So if you look at the, how we integrate with those technologies, we leverage them um, uh, under the hood to... Um, to um, in order to orchestrate open, uh, the, the OpenStack deployment itself, but we also uh, provision clusters of Kubernetes or Mesos or Docker Swarm for users uh, of, of, the, of the OpenStack system so that they can benefit from those uh, high-level abstractions to orchestrate their own applications. So I guess in, in summary of that, you're not trying to compete uh, in the container orchestration space, but instead you let people leverage whatever tool they want to in that space instead. Exactly. Um, it, it, it's really, to, to us, it's really two different, two different sets of problems. And uh, Kubernetes is really, or, or Mesos or Docker Swarm are really targeted to application operators people that have an application and want to run it, uh, whereas OpenStack is more targeted to infrastructure providers. Like you have this set of resources, you want to give people access to them in various ways, which includes Kubernetes clusters, but also VMs, bare metal machines, other uh, high-level constructs like blocks, object storage servers. Uh, how do you how do you do that? And OpenStack is the answer for that piece of the puzzle. It doesn't it doesn't try to like compete with uh, container orchestration systems, which are highly complementary. So I'm guessing if you can mention it, um, that people are probably, if they're using kind of any major hosting company or major cloud hosting company, they've probably been using OpenStack without realizing it, or they've been using infrastructure run by OpenStack without realizing it. Uh, yes, I mean, we either indirectly by using applications that actually uh, run on OpenStack, like PayPal or eBay or uh, or uh, WeChat in, in in China, or I mean, we, we're seeing OpenStack run under the hood of appli- visible applications everywhere, uh, but also more directly by being a customer of one, the, one of the OpenStack public clouds, uh, which we have in the... In, uh, in in various various areas, we have 25 public cloud providers today, over 60 data centers that are all running OpenStack, all being interoperable. So it's it's smaller cloud providers than you know the Googles and Amazons and Microsofts, but combined together, they actually provide a pretty compelling um, group in the other category. And unless I'm misunderstanding something in your website footer, is this mostly through Rackspace? Um, no. Um, well, it, it used to be. I mean, when, when OpenStack was started in 2010, it was started by Rackspace and NASA uh, for for their own for their own needs. Uh, since then, we have a lot of different uh, public cloud providers. We still have Rackspace, obviously, but uh, we have a lot of cloud providers, especially in Europe, because uh, that, that allows them to provide a differentiator um, to um, 
clouds that are more directly under US uh, legislation. Um, <laughs> So it's it's pretty. We have uh, OVH uh, in, in in Europe. We have CityCloud. Uh, we have uh, City Network. Um, that they all um, uh, have this compelling advantage over US-based cloud that they are not they're tied to European law rather than uh, US law. Uh, they also have different compliance requirements, uh, like the City Network clouds that are based in Sweden actually uh, have um, are um, compliant with the, the legislations around banking and insurance, the European legislation we have. Um, so that lets them attract users that can't really fit in the global Amazon or Google picture. And, and, and we already believe that there will be a lot of different cloud providers around the world with with specialty and specific use cases that they are more targeted toward, um, so we're uh, we're very happy with the the current state, the current momentum uh, behind behind public cloud, especially in Europe. And you mentioned that as part of your job, you're in charge of making sure that the sort of six monthly release cycle happens. And so within the last month, you've had a, a new release, OpenStack Pike, the 16th release. So that would be eight years, I guess, roughly. Um, what's new in OpenStack Pike? Um, yes, it's the 16th release. Uh, we've we've done a three month release very early on, so it's uh, it doesn't. Uh, I mean, like OpenStack just turned seven uh, the, the the project, um, so we had two three months release, I think, in the in the in 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 the list. But uh, we're back to six months release cycles now, which is a good compromise between too often and. Not enough. <laughs> um, the, um, uh, in in Pike, we've been working on on several several things. Um, there is um, there is a lot of buying back technical debt, like making sure that we'll run with with the uh, latest Python version. Um, we that's that's something that that was on our plate for for a long time, and we need to prepare for 2020 when when uh, Python version 2 will be uh, out of maintenance. Uh, so that's great progress there. Uh, we've also been working on better integration with Kubernetes. Um, as Kubernetes emerges as the, um, uh, the, the de facto leader on this container orchestration space, uh, we've been more aggressively targeting it for deployment of OpenStack itself. Uh, but also making sure that the components in the in an OpenStack-driven open infrastructure, individual components can be reused by Kubernetes itself. If if you are a Kubernetes shop and you all you ever want is a Kubernetes cluster, uh, then you should still be able to take advantage of um, OpenStack to get block storage to Kubernetes um, pods and um, or attached neutron networks uh, to to uh, to Kubernetes pods. Uh, we're we're seeing uh, the largest deployment of Kubernetes in the world re- relying on OpenStack more and more. And so we need to make sure that uh, 
OpenStack works really well, even if you are not directly using it for virtual machines. Uh, that means making sure that Cinder, the block storage component, and Neutron, the networking component, or Ironic, the bare metal component, can be used in a more uh, standalone manner in a very Kubernetes-centric uh, deployment. So that's been that's been work, worked on in in Pike. Um, Otherwise, it's plenty of. In, we have we have sixty project teams in OpenStack, so it's always difficult to to have a complete view. But uh, every every team has been making uh, continuous progress. We have um, the sales architecture used in Nova um, has been um, has been improved so that you can actually uh, scale uh, uh, Nova sales um, is a way to scale uh, your Nova deployment. Uh, for for uh, hundreds of thousands of nodes instead of thousands of nodes, um, and that's also uh, an interesting uh, progress there. It's a uh, it's a long term. One of the issues we have from a from an engineering perspective is that we've um, now we have users, so you, we can't really break them, <laughs> and so we where every change we make, we have to uh, uh, make sure that it won't break users, and obviously that means going more slowly than projects that, you know, j- can just experiment and break things. Um, but that's also when you have the best feedback, when, when you have lots of users and they bring back their requirements, it's where um, the, the synergy between users and, and developers is, is the most efficient. And just a few questions around kind of the, the organization. So you refer to the OpenStack Foundation a lot. So I'm guessing firstly that the OpenStack Foundation is an independent foundation. You're not part of Apache or um, Linux projects or anything like that. It's your own separate foundation. Uh, yes, the OpenStack Foundation is an independent a non-profit entity. Um, it it is tasked with you know organizing events uh, around around OpenStack and and uh, providing this neutral uh, ground for for um, trademark assets, uh, governance, etc. I mean, you, it's really difficult to grow when you are a significant open source project to grow beyond uh, your um, a single sponsor, uh, if because it's it's difficult for other companies or organizations to contribute if one of them has you know all the all the keys to the kingdom. So you have to provide this neutral um, asset lock to to hold the trademark to and to organize um, uh, neutral events, making sure that development can happen in a very uh, on a on a level playing ground where everyone can contribute without um, being privileged if you are from one company versus another. And that's that's really the, the role of the foundation, to set up that playing field, making sure that, uh, you know, the rules are respected, that everyone can play. Um, and it's been, a, it's been an interesting, interesting ride so far. 
And I mean, looking at the the members of the foundation, I don't think I have ever seen an open source project with quite so many members. So, <laughs> which I, I guess is a good thing. Um, so I'm assuming does every company above a certain membership level with an interest in the platform contribute in some way with a with a membership fee to keep the foundation going? And I guess probably fund a sort of core set of independent engineers as well um so in like contributing to the project itself uh you don't have to like pay the foundation or be a member of the foundation um but uh yes there is a number of organizations that have a keen interest in in seeing OpenStack uh, be successful. And more and more, it's direct users of the technology. So we have more and more um, uh, direct support from companies that rely on OpenStack for their own needs rather than you know, be a service provider that will, that will serve others. Um, and all of those have a keen interest in making sure that uh, OpenStack is successful and um, it's... Everything the foundation does is basically uh, what what everyone else either cannot do because they are not seen as neutral uh, or uh, things that uh, like everyone benefit from, like uh, like the, the the organizing events where everyone can can participate and have a marketplace of presentations. Uh, those kind of of uh, actions are. Um, things that the foundation does. We also run a certification program um, that is also neutral and shared between various uh, various training organizations. We have uh, we also have trademark certification programs to call yourself an OpenStack cloud. What does it exactly mean? What rules do you have to follow? So all of those little things that uh, make the make the ecosystem sustainable. Is uh, are things that the Obstack Foundation does, but it's a it's a re- really small group of people, so we don't have like uh, neutral engineering teams that you know you can throw at at problems. Uh, whenever, if you really end up in a, in a situation where the Obstack Foundation has to cover a significant part of the development, that would mean that the community is dysfunctional, uh, because because that means it's not sustainable by itself. Um, so it's a it's a thin it's a thin balancing exercise. You have to have enough people to keep things going and, and, and watch things, uh, but not enough that people start to rely on uh, the neutral resources to get things uh, like development done. Mm. And I mean, I can imagine looking at this list of companies from all over the world with a wide variety of different agendas uh, and requirements. I can imagine that balancing all those must be somewhat of a challenge. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who's, 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 whose job it is to do all that, but uh, yeah, I mean, European companies, American companies, Chinese companies, all with probably very, very, very different things that they want to accomplish. Uh, it must be quite a, a dizzying feat to balance all of that, I'd imagine. But um, it's, Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's been my job for the last seven years. Um, it's, it, I would say it's when you grow with the project, it's, it's, I mean, it used to be hundreds of people, now it's thousands of people. Now the new challenge is, like you mentioned, uh, uh, making sure that we integrate contributors from China 
because it's a very different culture. They have technical uh, barriers. Uh, they have, um, uh, I mean, there is no real open source community that managed to be fully worldwide and, and, and able to integrate Chinese contributors. But we have so many Chinese users, so many extremely large deployments in China. We really need to, uh, to integrate them in the community as much as we can. So it's our current challenge, I would say, to, to our next challenge is to is to make sure that we embrace contributors from China. And I mean, I'm just looking at the contribution stats for Pike, and it's it's actually quite interesting because you have a large percentage from Red Hat in terms of companies, but then the largest percentage is actually other. <laughs> so I, I guess that means a lot of small individuals or small one to kind of 10 person development shops and things like that. So it's nice to see that uh, the community seems to run pretty well amongst the split. Um, and there's a couple of people who certainly um, – are bigger contributors than others, and I haven't dug in to see quite who they are, but I can do that later. Um, so, yeah, good job, I think, <laughs> is, is, is the basic answer there. Um, just to wrap up, the last question I usually have is about future plans. So as far as I can hell no it looked like your release um naming was alphabetical but i don't think it is actually um so it is what, it is because i could see collar was the oh, oh no that's a different project okay yeah, yeah that's that's the project that does the yeah. um packaging of open stack in containers next release is quince quince very nice uh, uh it's not the most pleasant fruit but let's hope uh, <laughs> it's queens as in as in king and queens oh right okay queens okay not quince okay cool um so i mean i know six months is a reasonably long time in uh, development life cycles but what have you got planned for that release what's your major priorities for the next release um, so it's a very very hard question to answer at this point uh, because we just we just got started. We'll actually meet um, the the various development teams. We'll uh, get together in Denver next week to basically bootstrap the cycle. And by the end of that week, by just visiting various rooms, I'll probably have a more accurate pictures in terms of uh, being very. Um, uh, um, very specific in features. We already have uh, two release goals for this release. Um, one is more of a technical depth thing, um, like how we organize how we uh, run um, integration tests within within various projects. Uh, the other is to um, make sure that we can specify uh, policy rules in various projects uh, in the code rather than in configuration. Uh, that means... Um, like saying that um, you you have to be in a given group to be allowed to do certain actions. This is currently configured at each project level, and uh, we want to move that to uh, more of a more of a code thing. So those are, I would say, both things that 
are more uh, technical depth reduction than shiny uh, new features. Uh, we expect to make progress on um, improving the Nova scheduler. Uh, the, the Nova scheduler has been um, uh, um, a pain point in, in scaling to very large uh, deployments, especially public cloud needs. So we want to try to uh, break it out of Nova and make it its own service so that it can be used for scheduling other types of resources than just VMs. Um, and obviously that's a long term thing, but it's been it's been going on for uh, for a few cycles, a few development cycles already, and we hope to make uh, great progress on that during during the coming cycle. Um, Otherwise, it's uh, it's really difficult to predict. Oh no, no, no! I think point. that sounds like a, enough um, of a preview, anyway. And for anyone else interested in learning some more, I could see you have your sort of major user group conference coming up in Sydney at the beginning of November, which is actually a real shame because I am half Australian and I'm actually going to be back in Melbourne about four days after that event. <laughs> that's, that's sad. <laughs> so just miss it. <laughs> but, we'll, um, be in, we'll be in Berlin in, in like a year from now. So Yeah, I think I, um, I think I saw that, yeah. I'm not sure if I'll be in Berlin in a year, but anyway, <laughs> we'll see. But it's a shame, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you have any events related coming up in Melbourne around the same time, but um, if anyone is in in or near Sydney or at the beginning of November, the 6th, 8th of November, then there's the Open Infrastructure event where I guess there'll be lots of speakers from a wide variety of companies kind of talking about use cases but also uh features and best use cases and things like that. Yes, the, the OpenStack Summit is our um, the annual major event where we get the, the most um, interesting talks and keynotes and, and showcase of OpenStack technology. And we used to do that just after release and nobody had time to actually leverage the release. So now it's, it's like two or three months out after the release. So it lets... Uh, organization build products and uh, offerings and users start deploying the new thing. And so we have a much more interesting content. We also have a, a, a track called the forum, which is uh, cross community discussions around the future of OpenStack, uh, like discussing between users and developers on, on, on the gaps from the previous release, which, which should be doing for the upcoming early cycles. So it's a very interesting future-looking uh, community exercise where we deliver on our promise of doing open design, which is um, uh, developing OpenStack in the open, not, not behind closed doors in, in small groups, but making sure everyone can tap into the, into the, the future of the software. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time. I mean, OpenStack has been one of those technologies I've heard about, but because I've never personally had a, a need for it, I've never really dug into it in any great detail. So it was really interesting to speak to you and find out a bit more. Thanks for your time.